0: If you would like to be turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, and while you do that, I'm going to do the most important thing and go back to the front pew and get my timer. Uh And it wasn't dawn that time, all right. I do pay attention to the clock. We are grateful that you're here. It's been a great day together, a lot of fun, a lot of good time and laughter shared. We've had a great day of some returning back to us. Uh, of course, we mentioned Miss Barbara uh, being with us today, and then uh, Miss Nina this afternoon. I told Clayton, I said, you just got to get up there and start singing because Nina was holding a party back there with all of her uh, folks visiting her." But we're always. Uh, As we say with our prayers, we always want to be mindful of those who are sick and not with us, but we're extremely grateful when uh, we want to be thankful as well when those who are away and are sick are able to be back with us. And so we certainly give thanks. Uh, for those things as well. Appreciate the kind words about the lesson this morning um, and appreciate your attention and and giving thought to those things about where is God at the cross. Our lesson this afternoon is going to connect with those thoughts. As I mentioned this morning, there was a series of lessons in which mine was a part of. Uh, Mine was the last one on Thursday. It was where is God at the cross. Uh, But earlier in the week, it began with where is God in Esther. And of course, that discussion based on uh, God's name not being found in the book of Esther and then, uh, where is God when He is silent? And also, where is God when we suffer? And so I've been thinking about those things, and, and I only got to go hear one of the other three lessons. Uh, During the other two, we had other commitments we had to be at, so I got to hear the one that the brother did about where is God when he is silent, but just thinking about all those things, it kind of comes out of this idea of where is God when we suffer, and interestingly enough, or ironic enough, Travis and I were talking on Wednesday night, and we went into the library, and you know that I always want to try to give you uh, good suggestions, I always want to share what i have or what i know resources and those kinds of things and sometimes one of our underutilized things here is the track rack that's in the library there Uh, and there's all kinds of tracks that are in there faith also has a stash in her office because they send us a bunch Uh, i think each month maybe or at least every quarter they send us more Uh, maybe five or six of one type and seven or eight or nine of the other and we have all these that have accumulated Uh, I love these because these are from house to house, heart to heart, and they're primarily done by Alan Webster. And the titles are usually what will draw you in. And if you ever visit a congregation in the area, you may see a lot of these from house to house, heart to heart. Uh, But this one, there was one entitled, Travis and I were looking for something in particular regarding another situation. But there was one titled, Where Was God When Disaster Struck? And so we were looking for something different, but I grabbed that because I'd been thinking about it and thinking about how to connect this lesson with this morning, with the idea of where is God? And so, number one, please remember those tracks are there, and I guarantee you there's one about... Uh, where was what if Jesus ran for president and actually in 2020 maybe I guess was the last time 2020 uh, we had a lady call the building I may have been here that day or we had a voicemail uh, of a lady who called the building and said I really want you guys to run that again because it was run around 2016 Uh, and I don't know if it was house to house heart to heart that she saw or what but she said I would like for people to think about that so there's all kinds of topics And titles that will kind of draw people in and get them to think about, you know, maybe three things that God wants us to know or, you know, a lot of numerical kind of things, uh, points. And so I would um, encourage you to go grab one of those or a handful and look through them. Uh, You may find answers to questions you have and also be prepared maybe to hand those out. All that said, we want to connect this afternoon with our lesson this morning of the idea of where is God? Where is God when certain things happen? And in particular, where is God when we suffer? Or is this, again, the idea behind this particular tract is where was God when disaster struck? I don't have to tell many of you, although it really is kind of interesting to think about most of the kids that sit up here don't recognize this kind of picture, although they may have heard about it from the news or from other situations. But I don't have to remind you of the 19 terrorists who hijacked four airplanes and the fact that on that day in 2001, 3,000 people or around 3,000 people ended up losing their lives in connection with those terrorist attacks there in New York City. The World Trade Center. The Pentagon, uh, even a field in southern Pennsylvania were all part of the things that took place that day. And as I mentioned in the sermon this morning, it was, it's something that that kind of tragedy, that kind of day is something that we remember vividly, even all of these years later. And I'm surprised sometimes when September 11th comes up on us again and we start talking about the anniversary, about how long it's been, but still how impactful it was. Uh, I wrote down in my notes we would we would be amazed to sit down and count how many ways in which the world has changed. Uh, Marshall and I were actually talking after services this morning for a minute, and he was talking about how they had been to uh, the Bible Lands before years ago. And he was talking about just kind of off the cuff. He said it was a lot different, you know. Airplane travel was a lot different. The world in the Middle East was at least somewhat different than it is now, and the way that we think about it after something of such. Magnitude. Something this morning I mentioned, you know, Pearl Harbor or the world wars or the shootings that happened at school and all these different occasions. Nine Eleven is certainly one that we often think about. I remember 2005, August the 29th, 2005. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Hannah was pregnant with Clayton at the time. We had just gotten married earlier that year. We'd moved to Florence, Alabama. And I remember vividly, we bought a house and going in and out of the house over the course of that week thinking about the hurricane that was coming, and then after it hit and seeing images such as this where people are lined up around the Superdome or in New Orleans. uh, A Cat 5 hurricane, of course, Hurricane Katrina. Almost 1,400 fatalities, were involved in that situation. I've even seen, I think recently, there have been even a couple of more new, newer documentaries going back and visiting that time and thinking about how the area around New Orleans changed and Louisiana and uh, Mississippi and the Gulf Coast. I know you all here, I think, were involved with some of the work down there. Of course, that was before we had come along to be connected with the congregation. Uh, But by estimate, and of course, just by my very quick research, almost 125 billion Dollars. 125 billion dollars is what's associated with Hurricane Katrina. Tied for the most all time when it comes to hurricanes uh, and water type events there here in the United States and the amount of money and the amount of damage that it did. It was hard to think back as well. March the second and March the 3rd of 2020. You know, again, I remember being at home with Hannah uh, that Monday night and into Tuesday morning, uh, sitting and watching on television, not even knowing that on March the 2nd and March the 3rd of 2020, that a week later, the entire world was going to change, but not because of tornadoes that came through Middle Tennessee and Cookville and Crossville, but because of COVID and all the things that started just a week or so later. But I remember, and I remember even as COVID started and we're locking down, thinking about all these people in Cookville and other places who were affected by such an awful, awful tragedy. Uh, We had a young lady that grew up going to Bible camp with us from around the Cleveland, uh, East Tennessee area. She lost a brother and a sister-in-law, and her two-year-old nephew all died in that tornado around Cookville. Uh, One billion, one billion dollars in damage is what it's estimated. And you may look back at that, and when I remember when we found out about this young lady's family passing away, we asked questions We worry and we wonder why it is that bad things happen and why it is that tragedy strikes sometime. This actual tract is based upon the tornado that took place in 2018 down in Jacksonville, Alabama. Alan Webster, uh, that works for House to House, Heart to Heart, and writes a lot of these tracts, uh, his office was one that was affected along with the Jacksonville Church of Christ uh, that had a lot of damage. Um, It was actually March the 19th. 2018, so almost five years ago to the very day that that tornado swept through Jacksonville. And I don't think there were any fatalities. And uh, amazingly enough, and kind of as we wrestle with this question of where is God during tragedy, it struck Jacksonville, Alabama, where Jacksonville State is. And the church at Jacksonville there is affiliated. They have a Christian student center. But it was spring break. Actually, all the students would have been gone from campus during that time, and there were several injuries, but no fatalities, and the offices at Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Church of Christ, were affected, where house-to-house, heart-to-heart was at that time. They had things that were destroyed. They had to pick up in the track. Alan actually talks about that he was at the building that day and his wife and some of their kids came to the building for safety, for security, and so they were there as this passed over. And again, we look at these things and think about how awful the tragedy around us is sometimes. I ask you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 gives us just a a fifth account, if you will. We've talked about four, and we could have spent the rest of our time together looking at these things. But in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 1, we are told by Luke about another tragedy that took place. Apparently, uh, there were some Galilean Jews who had come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. And we don't get a lot of detail here. In fact, if you're looking at Luke 13 and verse 1, that's it. That's what we know. That's the extent of it. But some Galilean Jews had come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. But instead, what happened is Pilate, Pilate, who had been the sixth proc- procurator excuse me, of Judea, he had these same Jews slaughtered and their blood ended up being mixed with the blood of the sacrifices. It's kind of interesting, but not exactly like 9-11, but almost in the same form of some type of act of terrorism. Here are these people who are simply coming to offer sacrifices, and yet they're going to lose their life and their blood is going to be mixed with that of their sacrifices. Now, this event in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 1 is a tragedy However, it is not recorded for us by secular history outside of the Bible. But what it does do is it does make sense based on what we know about Pilate and other leaders and how they behave. Start working your way through history and think about how these people would persecute the Christians. This is not uncommon here as we think about. I know this is before the church was established, but yet there were leaders who would go and would terrorize, for lack of a better term, these people. And this is a tragic situation that is brought up as some people come to Jesus and they tell him about this situation. That's five different tragedies. But let's go for one more. In Luke chapter 13 and verse number four, Jesus mentions a sixth. And what's interesting is while the one in verse number one was kind of like 9-11 in that there is some murder, there is some terrorism, so to speak, In chapter, in verse number four, this is like the hurricanes and the tornadoes that we've talked about, a bit of a natural tragedy, a tower, which was near the pool of Siloam had fallen and 18 people had died as a result of this accident. Now, if you look there in verse number four, you may see the words in red, and that's because Jesus is the one who informs us of this tragedy. He's the one that talks about it and tells us about it. Now, if you remember your history, you may recall that in John chapter 5, in John chapter 5, there's a mention of a man who is healed at a pool, and it's a pool where the people would show up and they would wait for the water to stir. Do you kind of remember that situation being told? Well, that's what we're, we're talking about here. This is where the pool might have been, And this is a very sad situation for these people. Is it possible that those who were killed, the 18 people, were crippled and were at this pool waiting to be healed? Is it possible that they're not able to physically drag themselves away as this tower falls, a natural tragedy occurs, and they're killed? Oh, it's tragic. It's awful. And in connection with verse number 1, Jesus tells this story of verse number 4, and it is... A very sad situation. It is a tragedy. And people are wrestling with these things. Where is God when we suffer? Where is God when disaster strikes? Where is it that we're supposed to turn when things happen that hurt us? That hurt us. You know, the closest I came to 9-11 was that my, my stepdad was supposed to have been in New York on a business trip. And there were some people that he was, was traveling with that I had grown up knowing who were there. But they were fine. They were able to get out of the city and all these things. And so it's a tragedy. I mean, 3,000 people, it changed our world and our country. But I didn't know anybody personally, necessarily. It doesn't strike me the same way. Come a little closer home. Maybe it's the tornadoes in Tennessee sometimes, or other things that strike us, and they hurt us, and we want to know where God is. What's going on when bad things happen? This is a whole lesson that could go for you know hours, for for weeks, really, to study the idea of evil, pain, and suffering. Why is it that good that things happen to people who serve God? Bad things happen but we're going to try to take just a few moments here and make a few points and sort of summarize it as we think about the idea of where is God. Number one, just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. Think about that for just a moment. Just because God is silent does not mean that he is absent. Now, what's interesting is, is that this was a statement that was made during chapel at the Fried Hardeman Lectures one day. I guess it may have been Wednesday, and my lesson was on Thursday. And when I heard the brother who who was speaking in chapel that day say this, I made a note of it and wrote it down because I thought that's exactly along the lines of the lessons that I was a part of. Where is God? Well, just because God is silent does not mean that he is absent. We tend to ask where he is. He must be gone. As if we do the same thing in our lives, right? When When a tragedy happens to a child, whether it be a car accident or even a pool accident or something. People say, well, well, where, where were the parents? You know, why didn't they stop this? Because what we do is we try to often stop everything, right? Well, we'll just collect them. We'll keep them safe. We won't allow anything bad to happen. Well, that's the way we treat God. Is he not protecting us with a hedge or a shield around us so that nothing bad happens? Why would he allow such things to happen? Well, there's three points that are in this particular tract, and I want to share those with you because I think they really help us to understand that just because God doesn't jump in the way, remember we mentioned that this morning at the end of the lesson? Where was God at the cross? Well, he didn't didn't, didn't jump in front of Jesus. He didn't strike everybody dead. He didn't pull them down off the cross. That doesn't mean he was absent. Where is God when disaster strikes? A few points to remember. Number one, God's people have never... Maybe I should have underlined that. That's not in your bulletin if you're filling in the blanks. But we should emphasize that. God's people have never been exempted from from disaster. In fact, God has always allowed his people to suffer. Let me give you a reminder from the Bible. Did Noah not have to suffer the flood? He didn't lose his life, but it changed his world. Joseph had to suffer a famine, did he not? Moses suffered from thirst. On occasion, Job suffered after a storm. David suffered persecution. Jeremiah was left to die. John the baptizer lost his head, suffered death. Jesus suffered his cross. Paul suffered shipwrecks. John suffered exile on Patmos. If God's people were protected from disaster, the other issue that comes up sometimes is to think about it this way. If God's people were protected from disaster, many would become Christians for the wrong reason. Would they not? Many people would say, sign me up. Oh, you mean I need to come sit in the pew? I'll come sit in the pew. I'll do anything if you'll just protect me from bad things happening to me. I'll, I'll do that. I won't actually be committed. I may not change my life in other ways, but if it's just making a statement, if it's just showing up and sitting in the pew, gladly, I'll do that. I'll be a Christian. That's what happens if God's people were exempt from disaster. The thing is, when we suffer, we can trust God that he will always do what is right. Do you remember Romans chapter 8 and verse 28? Romans 8, 28, where Paul writes... And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Or the passage that I loved, I used to have it on a little screensaver, you know, at work on my computer. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 5. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Quit thinking that you've got it all figured out, that you need protected and you need someone just to save you from everything, but lean on God. Trust in him. Know that he will do what is right. That means pain sometimes. That means suffering. I know I've used it as an illustration in a previous lesson, but I will never forget, I don't think, because I still remember today, the first time that I touched a hot iron I don't remember how old I was, but I can envision the house. I can see the ironing board sitting there, and I don't know what I was thinking. But whatever happened, I reached up, and I got my finger on it, and I learned then. You know, at all costs, I'm going to avoid touching that backside of that hot iron or an iron that's plugged in because it hurts. And we suffer, and I suffered a burn, but I was fine, and I learned not to do that anymore. I hate pain and suffering. I hate death. I hate sickness. But I also know that God's people have never been exempted from disaster. Not only because many people would become Christians for the wrong reason, but because we also know that we learn to lean upon God, to trust in him. Someone who is so much better and bigger and greater than our ways. And thanks be to him, he still blessed us with each other. That even though we're not like him, we can turn to one another when, when troubles and trials strike. Number two. From Luke chapter 13, falling towers do not always constitute divine judgment. Falling towers do not always constitute divine judgment. If you turned away, maybe turn back to Luke chapter 13 for just a moment, what was it that Jesus answered or how did Jesus answer when he was asked about the Galileans? I I like to envision, as you probably do, what this occasion might have looked like. Jesus is standing there, or Jesus has been speaking, and some people walk up. Do you think they were in sackcloth? Maybe. Do you think their faces are red, streaked with tears? Maybe. But there are some people who bring up this occasion with the Galileans in verse number one. And how did Jesus answer? Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Because they suffered such things? By the way, he gives the answer, doesn't he? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And of course, he goes on then to offer another illustration. Hey, not only were those Galileans not worse sinners, that's not what's happening here. But here's another occasion. A tower falls, 18 people die, and how does he answer that? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here's what Jesus said about the matter. Do you want to know what we're supposed to do when disasters strike, when people suffer? What did Jesus say? His caution was to not come to the wrong conclusion about disasters. When bad things happen, don't come to the wrong conclusion thinking that you know and understand every reason why. Because he said in almost a rhetorical, you know, of course, Jesus would not have been a smart aleck, a sarcastic way, but almost rhetorical. Do you think they were worse than everybody else? No. Do you think they were worse than everybody else? I tell you, no. Tragedy happens to all kinds of people. You know what's upsetting or troubling sometimes is? Every time a celebrity, and I'm not trying to just bash celebrities or rich or famous people, but every time a celebrity or an athlete or someone has a tragedy, the world finds out about it. But I don't have to go around the room and ask you, how many people up and down this highway have tragic situations day in and day out that happen to them? It doesn't make big news. It doesn't make them better or worse. It doesn't even make the celebrities better or worse. But tragedy happens to all kinds of people. Not only rich and famous and maybe lesser known, but also Christians and non-Christians. Jesus' point is that men's sins cannot be judged by their sufferings. Men's sins cannot be judged by their sufferings. Great sufferers are not necessarily great sinners. And great sinners may not suffer great tragedy either, Right? Because yes, sometimes famous people and athletes have tragedy, but other times they've got all the money in the world and they live their life and and we look at them and think, well, nothing bad ever happens to them. Why is it? Let me say it one more time. Great sufferers are not necessarily great sinners and great sinners may not suffer great tragedy here. If you're a great sinner, you will suffer great tragedy. It may just not be here in this lifetime. Because we know that there will be divine judgment that happens. What can we learn then? What can we take from this particular lesson? Number three and finally, troublesome times are calls to repentance. What is Jesus' point here? He says, are they worse than everyone else? No. Are they? No. But I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Troublesome times are reminders that we need to live our lives as best we can. I almost said correctly. I don't even think that's the best way to say that. I don't mean that. But we need to live the best way we can. Living a life that's full of repentance. You see, Jesus denied that these tragedies were God's judgments. He denied the fact that just because these happened, God's condoning these people and saying, well, those 18 and those Galileans, they're sinners. They were wrong. They got punished because they were bad people. That's, Jesus denied that. But he used those tragedies to remind his hearers that God's judgment is coming. It's coming. And really, it'll be here sooner than later, no matter what we think. I know many of you have lived full long lives. You know, we hope to live long lives. But even then, <coughs> excuse me, it'll still be sooner rather than later. Jesus used every opportunity to get people to prepare for the judgment. Now, please hear me clearly, I am not suggesting that each one of us walk up to a tragic situation and maybe in the moment say this kind of thing, right? It's not always best in the moment you say, well, oh, you know, there's a reason for this. Or, you know, this is so that you'll get your life right. That's probably not the best kind of thing to say in tragic situations and especially in the moment. But it can also be true that maybe those moments allow someone to see their sinfulness or that they are not doing what's right, and to repent. All disasters today, if we're blessed with time and opportunity, in one sense are a call, or they are calls to repentance. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28? Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus here makes a very bold statement, some might say, when he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him. In my Bible, that's a capital H, right? Capital H, him, but fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see what the Bible teaches, what Jesus says is that there is a worse end for a sinner than a accident or a murder or a tragic death. There is a worse end than that. Does that feel like the end of the world? Does it hurt our souls in a sense when we see these tragic things happen? Absolutely, but there's something worse coming for those who are not repentant people who are right with God. And that is, of course, the divine judgment and the eternal punishment that comes because Jesus says, unless you repent, there is something worse that is coming. Therefore, everyone must repent and everyone must stop sinning And as Jesus says very plainly, if a person does not repent, they will perish. And it will be worse than a tower or a murder or all these things. They're tragic in our earthly eyes and they are often very tragic. But we need to be thinking about the way that God looks at these things. A lesson to be learned is this. When tragedy comes, many will be unprepared unless they repent. And as we think about concluding this lesson this afternoon, repentance is not the only condition of salvation, but it is the one being emphasized here. You see, when Jesus is saying, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He's not saying that's it. You just got to repent. He is emphasizing repentance is a part of the whole. And if you're here this afternoon, as we think about these tragic situations, these disasters, and you're not a child of God, allow those things to motivate you not to be angry at God but to change and to repent so that you don't have to perish. You're not worried about the second death, but you're, you don't have to fear that, but you can have confidence and hope in a home in heaven above. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a child of God, we'll be singing to encourage you that you would become a Christian, that you would submit your life to Christ and that you'd be baptized for the remission of your sins. So that the Lord can add you to his church. Maybe you're here and you've struggled with that. Maybe it's a situation like a tragic disaster. Maybe it's something else in your life that's amiss that you would like help with and prayers for. We would love to assist you in that way, even now as we stand together and as we sing.